I'm Noah Behrman. And I'm Jen Allen, and this is 149 Sessions. This may not sound appealing, but today we're going to talk about being uncomfortable. Enjoy. Hi, Jen. Hey, Noah. How you doing? Um, yeah, well, uh, I'm feeling pretty crappy today, if we're being honest, and uh, that's all right. I, I mean, I guess that that's the topic today, um, is feeling uncomfortable. <laughs> feeling uncomfortable. crappy. <laughs> that's well, true. Be, being uncomfortable and uh, assessing what we do with that, and do we, mm-hmm. do we run from it, do we lean into it, how do we assess those things? Um, it uh, helps that uh, we had a preface of over half an hour of dealing with technical issues before we even hit record on this conversation. So um, I'm already in, the, I was feeling a little crappy beforehand, and now we're in the mode of um, dealing with that half hour spent doing that. You need to get out. So, uh, so we'll be, uh, we'll, 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 so the, the, Feeling uncomfortable is already uh, already in there, and I, I just want to point out to our uh, our listeners also that uh, it is on purpose that we took a month or so off um, yeah. <laughs> amidst all of uh, the uh, the new the situation of racial injustice in our country is not new, but the amount of new attention on it uh, made it so we felt like we should back off for a little while and let other voices be in the forefront. And that isn't necessarily untrue now, but we felt like this was an important topic that a lot of people we know are also dealing with as they try to figure out how to frame up around inherently uncomfortable things. Yeah. So there you go. How are you, Jen? (laughs) Good, but ready to be uncomfortable. So. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's my job, I guess, to make you uncomfortable uh, with this conversation. I think it's, well, I think it's each of our jobs to like either, you know, keep each other um, in that uncomfortable place and also for us to encourage each other that it's not so scary in that uncomfortable place. That's that's a really, really good point, sort of realizing uh, um, that the discomfort itself is not, uh, is not in and of itself something to fear mm-hmm. the the thing that's making you uncomfortable may or may not be True. but uh, um yeah it's it's interesting i was thinking um in the lead up this afternoon to this conversation um i was thinking about the phrase i mean sort of semi-related i think i think it could be related of no no pain no gain and mm. uh um and also the idea and a concept that was introduced to me pretty early in college that if uh, for music, uh, if you sound good when you're practicing, then you're probably not practicing. You're probably not accomplishing anything. Right. Um, right. And I think something, all of this resonated with me as I was younger and as I was really hungry to, um, hungry to become better, hungry mm-hmm. to improve and evolve into the person I wanted to become and it's still true but what I've come to realize is that um, the converse isn't necessarily true mm-hmm. so uh, if you uh, no pain no gain but pain doesn't necessarily equal gain right and if you sound good when you're practicing you're probably not digging into the stuff that really needs the work but if you sound bad that doesn't mean you're accomplishing a lot necessarily (laughs) right (laughs) and so in general this sense of being uncomfortable i mean i i don't want to sound super micromanagey about it but there's this kind of optimal space which we can't necessarily control being in where we're i guess it's partly optimal in terms of how uncomfortable but more in terms of what we allow to make us uncomfortable. I've had a few instances in the last few days where I've, uh, in a socially distanced way, because that's what life in the pandemic is for a safe and responsible person such as myself, but, uh, and all of our listeners too, I'm sure. Um, but being with, um, bearing witness with, um, people close to me who are experiencing really 
difficult things, either in the present moment or are reliving and processing really difficult things from their past and various combinations thereof. And I feel like that's an instance in which um, being uncomfortable is really important or being willing to be in an uncomfortable place so that um, my my aversion to discomfort isn't the thing that makes that person who really needs to be supported shut down in that moment. Mm -hmm. Um, And at the same time, I'm conscious, um, like I don't watch movies very often. I just don't tend to have or take the time for that. But we actually had time to watch a movie last night. And what did you watch? um, We watched late night. Oh, Oh, um, uh, uh, which is, it was good. Um, yeah. It's partly because we're thinking of letting our Amazon Prime subscription end once it expires and so we figured we'd watch a few Amazon-produced movies in the meantime. Uh, but Amazon yeah. still does have a month to do the right <clears throat> thing and pick us up uh, as a sponsor and uh, um, well, lots, of other, <laughs> right. lots of other things that they could do right, which is why I'm actually thinking about that, but that's tangential <laughs> to the point. The point is there were some movies that people have recommended that I know will be upsetting, Mm -hmm. uh, whether they are, um, you know, disturbing psychological studies or whether they're, in many cases, documentaries about upsetting things. And I feel like it's important to be able to look at that stuff. But after a week of reading a bit too much of the news and engaging a bit too much with um, uh, stubborn people on social media and um, stubborn and not particularly kind people on social media mm-hmm. and um, uh, and trying to be super present for the aforementioned struggling loved ones. I just didn't have the bandwidth to compound that discomfort with completely optional discomfort. And some people can watch those things and it's nourishing for them. And at times I can do that, but I, you know, I needed to like, save my already maxed out quota for being uncomfortable for Mm -hmm. things that were more consequential than watching a disturbing movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, But the worst, and and I guess I, well, I don't know if it's the worst, but uh, I guess I use that as a distinction for other people. Maybe that's not a good example, but for me, that's an example of optional discomfort, especially if it's like, if it's a documentary and it's something I really need to learn about, that's one thing. But if it's just this is this is a couple hours set aside for escapist entertainment, and if I if I become disturbed and uncomfortable in those couple hours, that sort of squandering a moment when I actually could try to regain some equilibrium yeah. so that I can actually be uncomfortable in the instances where that matters, yeah. where where it's moving me forward in my life, allowing me to. Uh, process or or look at things that are impacting the way I live or impacting my relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, yeah. so yeah, so that, I guess that's in a sense what I've been thinking about most is sort of trying to figure out in the places where there's actually the opportunity to have agency over this and really think about it. What are the, what are the circumstances in which it's constructive to lean into being uncomfortable and what are the circumstances in which it's just kind of gratuitously kind of like exercising with bad posture or whatever, where Mm -hmm. you're feeling the pain, but you're not necessarily getting the gain. You you might just actually be hurting yourself. Mm. Yeah. Hmm. Took me, took me a long time to start to make those distinctions when I was younger, um, feeling whether it was literal or, sort of metaphysical pain um, automatically made me feel like I was accomplishing something and moving forward. And in hindsight, there were instances in which um, the only way I was moving forward was in my developing a tolerance for suffering or whatever. Right. Right. Um, Yeah. I think it's, I think it's not very natural for us humans to want to be in an uncomfortable situation. Um, I've been reading uh, Brene Brown's Rising Strong, and uh, she talks, not exactly in these same terms, but she's talking a lot about why 
we might have a lot of problems in our life, why we might have miscommunications with other people. It can, it can go to things of race. It can go to things of interpersonal. Just It could go to anything. But her thing was that we tell ourselves stories in that little middle part. So we have a, an issue and we react because we are either uncomfortable or we don't understand what's going on. And in that telling a, of a story, a lot of times, not always, it's not 100% true. And it goes to our core uncomfortable things, either some kind of shame or some kind of, um, mm. uh, you know, feeling un unworthy of something or un uncomfortable in some way. Right. And, um, and she says in that moment, in that time in between, actually, feeling something and reacting is, and there's people who have talked about this, like taking a moment or whatever, mm -hmm. is, is that time where it can be really uncomfortable because you have to face who you are really <laughs> inside. And those, yeah, yeah. and those, you know, that you were able to do that kind of stuff, I think puts you a little bit ahead uh, of a lot of people because I think most of us are not taught to be listening to why we even feel anything, you know? Um, right. And so, um, and in that uncomfortableness, whether somebody's told you, you know, you really offended me, um, and you're sitting there being like, the very first thing you can feel is maybe, like if it was me, I might feel all of a sudden the sense of like, I am unloved, this person doesn't love me, this person hates me, they're gonna reject right. me. And so my first reaction, if I don't stop and think about that, is to protect myself. Mm -hmm. And it's a real like natural human thing. That's what, what I'm kind of getting at is that we all right. have this. Um, it's just how it comes out in, all, in, in different ways. And so having that, uh, that time to say, well, why am I feeling this way? Or why do I think this right. stuff is really, really important. Now, it can go to childhood trauma. It could go to systematic things in our society for why we think the way we do. I mean, there's so many different reasons why yeah, we could yeah. believe those things. But if we don't even take that time to stop and say, I'm uncomfortable right now, why? Right. And sitting in that, um, I just don't, I just don't think, and I, I only say this because I think it's taken me a really long time to, to want to do that in my life, to find that like, those are the moments that are actually um, the most growth or moving forward kind of moments. That makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it's, I, I sometimes, I mean, this is a, a weird glass half full um, perception maybe, but there were certain, without, without getting into um, the outer conditions of my younger years, um, the resulting inner conditions at a certain point were pretty intolerable. Mm -hmm. And uh, so um, I won it, it made being comfortable in that sense, sort of protecting that sense of comfort, not that appealing. Um, so I, I guess the, the glass half full way of looking at that is that spurred me to learn to be okay with being uncomfortable because it was so clear, even with my lack of um, life experience and wisdom and my not fully developed prefrontal cortex, it was, it was pretty clear that being uncomfortable on a path towards some kind of understanding or healing or self-discovery or development of resilience, whatever. I mean, I didn't have the vocabulary for any of those things, but I knew that just sort of maintaining my inner status quo mm -hmm. was not a particularly acceptable option. Like I was not, um, I, not to sound melodramatic, but I was not particularly interested in l continuing to live a life where I was stuck in that place. Right. And right. so the, the uncertainty uh, on the other side was, was worth pursuing because that, that, uh, Comfort, the comfort of familiarity and of sort of safety and of uh, um, self-protection against certain things that would stimulate but challenge me was just like made me like I can actually feel physically ill right now thinking about that default state when I was 
say 16, 17, 18, before I kind of made a, um, a more systematic commitment to try to go to those places. Right. And I mean, it, it's not like it was uh, one day that I flipped a switch and decided I would live a growth-oriented life uh, <laughs> from that moment forward. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, so it's, it's uh, whereas if I was a bit happier um, or if what I could envision my life being without going to those places seemed like something I could tolerate, then maybe I would have been less motivated. Um, I don't know. I mean, I don't have... Uh, yeah, it's hard to know I, because I, I think that there's lots of different reasons that people do or do not go in that Sure. In that I don't have I don't have a control group, right. Noah, who <laughs> to, uh, you know, whatever, for whom conditions yeah. were slightly different to uh, to make a scientific study of it. Right. Um, but it was interesting how it was easier for me to do that in a kind of inward looking way initially and took me longer, a lot longer to learn how to, and I'm still not perfect at this by any means, but to learn how to lean into those uncomfortable places uh, outside of myself, whether it was in relationships with people in my life or whether it was more broadly um, in situations that um, where where any I mean this is the moment I feel like we're in as white people and not to mention white practitioners of black music mm-hmm. um, in in this moment in our country's trajectory um, any any comfortable place I could fabricate in my mind to make me not feel sick about the state of things and about the urgency of doing something about it would be completely phony. Mm -hmm. And, um, and that impulse is there and I see it in myself and I see it in, I mean, I, I perceive that I see it in others though. Of course I don't know what's going on in anybody else's psyche, but uh, that, that impulse to figure out a way to frame things that exonerates me from feeling bad so that I can go back to whatever comfortable perception of reality I might prefer to inhabit. And that's our privilege because we, we even have a place to go to, (laughs) you know, like that's, that's the, that's the thing that I feel like is, is, is always kind of missed. It's like, (laughs) like we have that. We have that rest. We have that time. And like, yeah, if we choose to go back to that, then that is that is a problem because until everybody has that option, um, it just feels not right. Not right. Not just. Yeah. But the the uncomfortableness about that. And I think that this goes for you know, not just that situation, but like all situations, like if somebody has a death or a divorce or some kind of life situation that makes another person feel something, Mm. you know, it's, Mm. it's hard to sit with that and just be with it. You know, like I, I find like, it's not my necessarily, you know, if I'm with a friend who has lost a loved one, it's not my job to make them feel better, right? My job right. is to be there and to help totally. in any way that they need help in. And I, and I kind of find that that is also, uh, I, don't, I don't know if this is a direct correlation to like the racial injustice, but like my, my job isn't to sit here and to say, this is what needs to be done exactly, right. you know, but, um, but to be there and to speak up and to, and to be a support when my friends or even non-friends, just a community needs something. And yeah. um, I, I mean, I'm, I'm willing to find, like, find out more stuff because I feel a little bit like, I feel like I'm on, the, on, the, on that uncomfortable level of like, well, what is my next thing that I need to do? You know, like, yeah. I think that's where I'm kind of sitting. Um, and... 
right now. I'm just, I'm doing a lot of reading and talking to people and trying to learn, but because it's funny, like my, my daughter is so in tune with this stuff. Like she's growing up, she's 13. She's growing up with this idea of this injustice, you know, mm-hmm. I didn't grow up with that. Right. Yep. And I had to be taught it, you know, when I went to the Jackie McLean Institute, you know, Jackie would tell us about this stuff. And that was like so eye opening to me because it wasn't mm-hmm. the history I grew up with. Right. Um, and, you know, she's growing up with it now. We were at a Black Lives Matters march protest and um, we we're coming back and she's just bawling. And I and she's like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I was like, why are you sorry? I was like, that's what every single person should be doing. Yeah. You know, like that is the correct response to this stuff. And that is the, that this is not right. And that, you know, it should bring on, you know, (laughs) waterworks of like, what the heck is wrong? And I, and I looked at her and I just saw like a huge, you know, chasm between her and I in terms of like the life I've led of not having to think about that stuff. Mm-hmm. And now that she is, you know, and, and the uncomfortableness she's in and the uncomfortableness that I'm in because of that and trying to like, you know, navigate our way through it. And it's, um, I don't know, I don't really have an answer. I'm just kind of sharing that like a yeah, little bit you. of insight into like what I've been thinking about in it. But it's, um, yeah, I'm just going to stop there. <laughs> Well, yeah, I don't have the answers either. Uh, spoiler, spoiler alert, people can stop listening now if that's what they were in it for. Uh, um, buy Amazon or don't. Uh, yeah. Um, but um, yeah, it's when you were talking about like trying to be present with someone who has mm-hmm. experienced loss or traumas is in need of support. I think not only, and this is just piggybacking off what you were saying, not only is it not our job as the supportive person to fix it, but um, if we do try to fix it, that sets up a potentially really toxic dynamic mm-hmm. because it's it becomes very clear to someone who is suffering if the person who is ostensibly there to be supportive um, has a limited threshold for discomfort and Mm -hmm. then it becomes your need to either disengage completely because it's toxic for you Mm -hmm. or you might get sucked into trying to comfort that person yeah you know i have uh um i have a song that i wrote like 10 years ago that uh um spoke to this um uh situation in the sense of like an interpersonal conflict and just trying to be able to communicate your experience to someone without their, um, without their, um, limited threshold for discomfort, um, short circuiting the whole thing. So there's a line, it's, I'm sorry to be self-referential and reference one of my own lyrics, but there's a line, um, the second verse where it says uh just silently listen don't stop me to alert me that you now need comfort from the pain of knowing you hurt me Mm. um and uh i'm proud of that line because i feel like that's a thing that can happen often is that the the person who actually needs the comfort winds up doling it out and you know i've Mm -hmm. been reading really trying to pay attention to um some really eloquent things I've read in the last month or so uh, about white tears and, uh, you know, mm-hmm. not that we shouldn't be experiencing emotions and expressing them, but um, not, not um, taking up space with that, that um, mm-hmm. adds more psychological and emotional burden to the people on the front lines. Of course, who, yeah who can't retreat into the safety of their pale skin like we can. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. Um, and totally. uh, yeah, so that willingness to be, I mean, and it's just interesting how if you have a limited tolerance, and again, I've experienced this enough that I hope it does not sound like I am um, preaching about others without including myself, but if you have a limited tolerance for discomfort in that way, 
uh, it inherently limits how present you can be and how supportive you can be because built into any situation, there's a point at which you're going to check out because mm -hmm. you can't take, you know, if, if someone needs to get into four layers of their suffering for you to really understand their experience and you've decided that it's important to do that, but three layers is your limit, then inevitably there's going to be a point and later is better than sooner for that point to come. Mm -hmm. But it's still that point where where that openness gets shut down and that person cannot safely continue to to um, let it go in that way right. and uh, or, or be forthright in that way. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I've certainly, I certainly learned a lot about that through parenthood, mm -hmm. you know, and like if I, if I say I'm here for you no matter what, I better mean it. And I don't say that very often. And I don't say that to very many people mm -hmm. because I'm so conscious of a, what, what, that means. <laughs> what that means and how yeah. deep it can be yeah. and also what a profound betrayal it can be when you say that and you're not actually prepared to go to the necessary lengths to follow through. Right. Um, That's super you know, uncomfortable. That, yeah. I'm just, yeah. just agreeing with you. <laughs> yeah. so, like it, it puts you in very uncomfortable spots when you when you say that to somebody. You know, yeah, because yeah. That, that's going to, you know, especially with your children, they're going to say things that are going to make you just. Ah. And, yeah, totally. And so, or they're going to experience suffering that you can't fix. Right, and exactly. uh, um, and so if they learn, I mean, I said I wasn't going to get too much into external circumstances, but I will say if they learn, as I did um, when I was younger, that the degree to which you can be open about or even fully inhabit your suffering, uh, if, that, if that is inherently limited by your need to manage the stress of someone who's supposed to be taking care of you but can only do so if, if uh, you tamp okay. down yeah. your own lived experience, mm -hmm. um, that's, that, that reinforces a way of being that... Um, does not carry real does not carry over real well into wholeness as an adult person right and that that feels so core to every issue <laughs> you know if you're not able to um it's taken me a long time to even want to do that in my life you know mm. i think uh Again, because of circumstances, you know, either growing up and not having a, what people call an emotionally literate house. I didn't have one of those. Right. And um, so any emotion uh, became very elevated and or not listened to. So, yeah, I think right. that those, those things are core to humans that, you know, we all have emotions. We all have um things that um that we need to kind of take a look at and um yeah. when we when we can't uh because of life circumstances or because we don't want to um it creates a lot of uh a lot of suffering yeah yeah it's and that's uh once you're actually dealing with i mean in this we're kind of talking about all of the above but the the inner the inner struggle and then dealing inwardly with a tangible present moment struggle. Right. I mean, which is, which is in some ways the same as, and in some ways distinct from, um, distinct from, uh, the present moment, like inner manifestations of a past, um, negative outward experience. Does mm -hmm. that make sense? So like there's present moment trauma and there's past trauma. And in some ways they're the same, but uh, in, in a past trauma, there's some hope for healing, uh, whereas if the wound is actively being um, picked at because the situation uh, is still there, then that requires uh, even another layer, whether it's your own or whether you are trying to be compassionately and courageously present for others, uh, requires an extra degree of... of uh, 
courage, I guess. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking back to an experience. I don't think I've not, I don't know if I've ever told you this and I've, I'm sure we haven't talked about it on this podcast, but, uh, um, having, having had a couple experiences where, um, where I've lost a loved one, um, suddenly. And I mean, I, am not of the belief system that every death is tragic because we are mortal beings. And if you live a long life and, um, die peacefully at an old age, that may be sad and it may be a loss, but I view that as distinct from a young person being suddenly and violently taken away. And I've had a couple such experiences and, I had another experience a few years ago where um, a, rel a younger than us adult um, with a child very suddenly and unexpectedly lost her husband. Mm -hmm. And we went to the wake and, um, uh, and I, we were very conscious that a thing we could say there and maybe for a moment people will think I'm a terrible person for what I'm about to say, and or maybe they already know I'm a terrible person, I don't know, but uh, <laughs> um, a thing you could say there is, if you need anything from us, let us know. And we were conscious that we couldn't say that and mean it. Mm -hmm. And so, not that anyone was expecting us to say that, but I've learned how many people say that, and they're not really thinking about what that means, and we, because we were already dealing with what we were dealing with, we didn't have, and the relationship was not organically close enough that it, that it would have made sense. And we knew this person had others in her life who organically did have that kind of relationship and that capacity to step right. up. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, it was really illuminating for me at least, and kind of sobering to, consciously make that choice of, okay, I can't, I, I, my heart bleeds right now, but I can't be that person in this situation. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and it was more symbolic than anything. Again, like nobody was expecting that it would not have right. been, um, you know, the organic next logical relationship move or whatever. But, uh, um, and you know, if you're going to, if you're going to be there with someone who's suffering, and again, this is someone with a young child where this was not just getting over the trauma, but lots of present moment trauma, trying to figure out how to navigate the situation. Um, being, being present with that takes, I don't know, there's something, it's, there's something sacred about it, mm -hmm. I think, and, uh, and needs to be, viewed through that lens mm. um, yeah does that make any sense mm -hmm. yeah it's being honest with what's happening in your own life at the i don't know it's it's very we can't we can't be everything yeah to everyone yeah. you know we do what we have to do in the moment um and that is, I feel like that's really like anti like American, right? I right. just feel like, I, I don't know, I grew up thinking I could do everything. I can be everything I want to be. I can right. be this right. like professional person. I can have a family. I can do it all. And I can be everything to everyone. And it's just like, wow, that's just, I'm a human. Like <laughs> I'm one yeah. human and I have to, I yeah. have to be very conscious of what I'm doing and how I'm doing it. And, um, that's uncomfortable because I think, uh, a lot of people want to just fix everything and like, yeah. Yeah. I'm, and that's, this moment is a particularly illuminating one for a lot of people in that headspace, I think, because, you know, if you're, if you're used to being able to swoop in and fix stuff, yeah. then um, there is no swooping in or f fixing that can occur uh, through one person right. in the realm of racial injustice and perhaps more significantly 
um, it's pretty hard not to if if you try then the sheer arrogance of that um, is ultimately not a net positive even if you are actually doing good things mm-hmm. I mean that's where the the notion of the white savior sort of manifests most dramatically in some ways and um, and that's where I mean I honestly I mean I struggle with that too as a someone who tries to be very hardworking and prolific and, uh, and productive and so on and like I want to be an agent of positive change and so on that's that's um, so central to my vision of who I'm trying to be in the world and again part of that if I'm being honest about it is um, that it's not pleasant to be in that uncomfortable place of realizing you can't fix the thing and that there's horrible things and that people you love and people you don't know are suffering unjustly and you can't you can't fix it and you maybe can't even really meaningfully comfort them and mm-hmm. um i mean you can do more good than harm if you're conscious about it but uh and, and so um that that impulse to want to fix uh in addition to being sort of delusional and possibly arrogant ultimately makes you less effective as um if if you are um if you are pushing yourself to do more than you can objectively speaking handle for whatever reason, either because you're only one person or because you occupy a position in society that makes you not the person who can actually do the thing um, effectively or equitably, Hmm. um, then, then struggling against that siphons off energy that could go into using whatever energy you do have to do something that is constructive and mm-hmm. and do the inner work to reconcile the imperfection of it reconcile that you will die without having seen the mountaintop much less um much less have been the person who um led the way to the mountaintop um, mm. and and seeing that you know you can't I mean it sounds morbid but sort of if you if you realize that you can't fix the suffering that is in turn making you uncomfortable to know about um, then at least you can inhabit the real world and do whatever it is you decide it is your place to be able to do within that perception of the real world. I think that's the uncomfortable place, right? Like I, there's nothing I can say that will be perfect about how to, to live in this, in this life, in this time. I have to go moment to moment, be in those uncomfortable situations. And I think that the main point, like I want to like kind of say is that I want to be okay with the uncomfortable if somebody totally. tells me I've hurt them, if somebody told me I've offended <coughs> them, if somebody that I can sit in that and say and, and look at myself and use it as a mirror to say, well, why did that hurt somebody and why did it do it? OK, what do I need to address in myself? OK, how do I go forward? This is how I go forward. And I think it's it's constantly coming to those places and being OK with them coming up. I think so, so much of our time and light and, and, and a lot of my, my life and, and in my friends' lives, I've, I've heard, it just seems like we're all trying to avoid those moments. And I think that being honest and saying like, hey, yeah, I put my foot in my mouth. I'm really sorry. Can you forgive me? Can you show me how I hurt you or why this is bad? You know, those kinds of things are the hardest things to do but the most important thing that I think I can do you know and and totally. going forward and so that's why it's so it's so important to talk about that uncomfortable space because we all experience it 
every human being experiences it. Yeah. It's not some of us some of us numb ourselves to it uh, more than others, but it's uh, it's there. Yeah, and it's it's not just numbing. Sometimes we just we fight against it. Sometimes we want to mm-hmm. be like, I'm not this. You can't call me that or you I didn't hurt you. I think that's the, that's the worst thing we can do when we're uncomfortable. Totally. The first thing like I try to do I am definitely not perfect at this, and your, my kids will tell you, <laughs> is, is to, to, to stop and just say, what am I thinking or what am I feeling right now, you know, and, right. and then address it. And that's why I think that Brene Brown's book is really good because it, it, it talks about how to do that and that, like, that's part of living, you know, and if we can't, then we'll never achieve anything. And I, and I don't have any... Uh, illusion of myself doing anything great in terms of uh, moving anything in any direction but but what I do think is that and I, I kind of believe this as a as a core belief is that each of us has the responsibility to do something and that creates movement even mm-hmm. if it's not like you know um like one leader or whatever, like it, lots right. of people taking that moves things. And I, I, um, I'm banking on it. I'm banking that my uncomfortableness is, is gonna, it's like an investment, you know, an investment, not just in, in the world, but in myself too. Like I will be a person that I can like be happy with instead of, you know, disappointed in, because I've been disappointed with my reaction to things for many, many times. I've done things Mm -hmm. that were embarrassing and like, I I don't, but going forward, am I going to do that? And I hope not. And that, that uncomfortableness is, is, I feel like that key to, to getting, getting over that hump of like, well, what do I do? You know, it's like, well, get, get comfortable with being uncomfortable because uncertainty and all that is, is kind of the key to life, um, I'm finding, at well, least. Right, or the key to uh, an authentic life, yeah. anyway, or a, a uh, one where you're emotionally and morally engaged, I guess. Mm-hmm. I mean, if, you're, if your vision of life uh, revolves around how many Beanie Babies you can accumulate or whatever, <laughs> then uh, um, maybe that's less so. Um, I don't <laughs> know many people for whom that's true, but... It's a thing. Yeah. And I think one, one variation, I, I agree with everything you're saying. And one, I, I, I'm not sure if I would say this is a step further, but one variation as you're talking about owning up to, um, owning up to having done something. Um, there are a couple of variations on that that sort of make it a level more uncomfortable that I find myself, um, wrestling with and uh acknowledging one is when and there are variations on one another in a sense where there's overlap between the two at least Mm -hmm. one is if you if you can't fix it um and one is if it isn't something you specifically did uh and so if you can't fix it or if it would be if trying to fix it would actually be more burdensome than helpful you know, and that with with a lot of the, um, a lot of my black friends and colleagues right now are expressing the sentiment that they appreciate that white people are trying to get woke and help and be productive, but it's exhausting for them if the solution is to ask their black friends, "What can I do?" Because they're already doing so much, they don't need to add to that teaching us how to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I think a variation on that can manifest, um, and sometimes it's all the same wrapped up in one, can manifest in, um, in interpersonal relationships. If you hurt someone and you say, well, what can I do to make it better? The answer may very well be, I don't know, mm-hmm. and stop asking me that because then it becomes my job to figure out to figure out what I speculate you could do that will make me feel better so that you can feel better. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, whereas the answer is, I don't know, I'm upset. I don't know 
what getting over that is going to look like, mm -hmm. whether it'll happen at all, how long it'll take, and so on. And um, it's it's really deep to have to live with that, to have to live with causing causing pain um, that uh, you don't know if or how you can clean up. Mm -hmm. and, and there's uh, definitely things you can't clean up in life. And that, yeah. again, more uncomfortableness to sit with. And like, yeah. and, but that's up for, that's up to the individual. That's up to us to sit in that, you know? Um, totally. And, uh, and I guess it's, yeah, it's sort of acknowledging that, that, that at a certain point trying to, well, what can I do to fix it is, is shifting the burden away from you when right. the act of mm -hmm. genuine contrition is supposed to be shifting the burden to yourself for that. And with a lot of the um, racial justice work that I see going on, one of the things that uh, we white people have to deal with, if it is not presumptuous for me to say so, is that just by living with the privilege we have, there's a certain complicity, even if we as individuals um, have not had any ill will or have not acted right. from a place of, of uh, um, conscious uh, or particularly violent prejudice. And, right. you know, and I think one of the things I see people who are maybe less inclined towards that way of thinking resisting right now is that that sense of like why why should i feel guilty i didn't do anything i personally right, right. didn't do anything and being able to own mm -hmm. that i mean this is something we experienced I, I i'm not sure if it's an exact parallel but um as foster and adoptive parents there are ways that we i wouldn't say we had to but we sort of chose to take on burdens that we didn't create in the sense that our kids suffered in certain ways from situations that predated our knowing them. And so on one very literal level, it wasn't our fault, but somebody had to, somebody had to reflect remorse over those things having happened. And the people who should have been expressing that remorse were not going to do so and were not present to do so, even if they had become enlightened enough to do so and sort of taking on that burden, even though it wasn't mm. our doing literally um, felt, I mean, it's hard to articulate what that actually looked like, um, but it was, it was important to sort of have, to try to develop the humility to be able to think in those terms and sort of, move our energy fields in those terms. And I feel like I'm having to learn a similar lesson now of, you know, knowing, knowing that there is suffering that I personally did not perpetuate, but I benefit from yeah. the privilege that came along with that. And mm -hmm. not everybody who has pale skin like mine is willing to, accept some accountability for that and so that's literally the least i can do yeah yeah um, hope, hopefully it's not the only thing i'm doing but it, mm -hmm. it it's sort of uh without that there's not much room for anything else yeah yeah it's a it's an enormous system it's been going on for so long and we have to we have to kind of face it and in, in ways that are um gosh the only term that's coming to my mind is black and white <laughs> like and i'm like okay that's yeah. all i'm saying but you know what i mean like it's not it's uh we definitely need to to i i mean i agree with you let's just say that i don't have anything else to add to it really so yeah i feel like being a jazz musician helps in a in a perverse way not not in the sense of it being black music although that's I mean, that's a whole conversation in and of itself, and we're getting towards the end of our time in this conversation. But um, improvisation and group improvisation does kind of um, help stoke that embrace of uncomfortable places. 
Um, one of the reasons I knew I wanted to become a jazz musician is that complacency was so utterly boring for me mm. when I was young and making those decisions. The idea of playing a song where I, playing a whole evening of songs where I knew everything that was going to happen and my job was to go out and execute it accurately as opposed to um, being excited by the possibility of the things that I couldn't predict like that being on edge musically is exciting mm -hmm. for me yeah. and I wouldn't say that being on edge about um, a global pandemic or um, vast societal injustice is exciting per se but um, I guess I've finally reached a point where that impulse to be pushed and challenged in pursuit of something better um, where I may not actually get all the way there, but the pursuit of it is still, is still feels worth it. Uh, it's it. I've still got a long way to go, but it's gratifying to see that little bit by little bit uh, integrating into the rest of my life and consciousness. Hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's one of the things, honestly, that I love about playing with you is that I'm kept on my toes in a way that um, that makes me, I mean, if this doesn't sound too melodramatic, it makes me, I mean, it's enjoyable in the moment, but it's more that it sort of tunes me into there being something beyond what I, what I'm already used to and expecting. Mm, yeah. No, I, that's a great description. And yes, <laughs> I totally agree. And I feel very much the same when I play with you. So I don't have that all the time, but I appreciate it. Well, so maybe it's a cop out after talking about uh, being uncomfortable for nearly an hour to end on a happy and complimentary note, <laughs> but, uh, um, well, no, I meant to say no. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Okay. I think this is a, a good beginning of a conversation. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I hope, uh, I, I, I'm not going to get my ego attached to this outcome, but I hope that, uh, at least some folks have, uh, listened through to this and feel at least some, encouragement or um, motivation to look at those things in their own lives and their relationships with other people and with their society. Mm, yeah, me too. All right. Thanks, Noah. Thanks, Jen. Bye.